So here we are again in the trial. Today, our lesson is all about being challenged in the trial. And by the way, this is the last lesson in this segment all about trials. So we know that when we're in a trial, we have been challenged to fight. And the challenge, we're going to break this down here. A challenge is an invitation to engage in a contest, a summons to fight, perhaps a dare. I don't know if any of you remember, I had cousins that loved to play the game Truth or Dare when I was growing up. Never my cup of tea. But now we have the definition of a challenge. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body, sorry, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. We have to remember the early church, they were in a constant battle. They had to fight valiantly, continually. Hebrews 11.34 tells us, says this, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight. And 1 Timothy 6.12 reminds us that we are to fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. Our walk as a Christian can be likened unto a soldier who has been called into warfare. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we are called to fight. And we have to know that in that fight, we will be made strong. C.H. Spurgeon, I love his readings. I love his teachings. He told the following story. I'm going to share it with you now. At the Battle of Creasy, where Edward, the Black Prince, then a youth of 18 years of age, led the van, the king, his father, drew up a strong party on a rising ground and there beheld the conflict in readiness to send relief when it should be wanted. The young prince being sharply charged and in some danger, sent to his father for help. And as the king delayed to send it, another messenger was sent to crave immediate assistance. To him, the king replied, Go, tell my son, I am not so inexperienced a commander as not to know when help is wanted, nor so careless a father as not to send it. He intended the honor of the day should be his son's. Therefore, he let him, with courage, stand to it, assured that help should be had when it might conduce most to his renown. 
God draws forth his servants to fight in spiritual warfare, where they are engaged not only against the strongholds of carnal reason and the exalted imaginations of their own hearts, but also in the pitched field against Satan and his wicked instruments. But they, poor hearts, when the charge is sharp, they are ready to respond with and cry, Save, Lord, we perish. God is too watchful to overlook their exigencies, too much a father to neglect their help. If help, however, be delayed, it is that the victory may be more glorious by the difficulty of overcoming. When help is delayed, it is so that the victory is more glorious by the difficulties faced in overcoming. I love that part. Paul says it too when he says, I have fought a good fight. What was in his fight? How did he feel about all of the trials and the infirmities? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 28 and 30 tells us. Verse 24, of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. That's verse 28. Verse 30. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. So what's he saying? We can either give up and sit in despair, or we can accept these trials and infirmities as the challenge that they are. We can be an inspiration in the trial. That's what Paul did. Now, we know challenge can accompany resistance Henry Van Dyke wrote this. No doubt, a world in which matter never got out of place and became dirt, in which iron had no flaws, wood no cracks, in which gardens had no weeds and food grew already cooked, clothes never wore out, and washing was as easy as the soap maker's advertisements describe it to be, in which rules had no exceptions and things never went wrong this would be a much easier place to live in. But for purposes of training and development, it would be worth nothing at all. It is the resistance that puts us on our mettle. It is the conquest of the reluctant stuff that educates the worker. 
I wish you enough difficulties to keep you well and to make you strong and skillful. There's something to say to your friends. I wish you enough difficulty to keep you well, yet make you strong and skillful. Might have to add that to my prayer list. There is a Chinese proverb that says, The gem cannot be polished without friction, nor man perfected without trials. And isn't that true? We read that again and again in the scriptures, that very thought. It is so important for us to determine to become the person that God wants us to be. We have to determine that we will not just lie down and suffer. We will not fall into anxiety or depression or bitterness, but we will go through our trials and we will come forth as gold. And, you know, for those times that we do fall into bitterness or we kind of stop trying, we stop fighting, we give in, It's never too late to start again. God tells us today is the day of salvation. Every day, we are given new opportunities to turn it all over. Andrew Marker wrote a short essay called The Boy. The essay in this book was changed to The Girl because after all, this is the Women of the Spirit Bible Study. So I thought I would share this. A girl stood there as I opened the door, whom I thought I had seen somewhere before. What do you want, young lady, said I, as she gazed at me with a puzzled eye. Excuse me, she said, for troubling you. I am seeking a friend I once knew. You look like her. You bear her name. But now I see... You're not the same. She used to live at this address, but I guess she has moved away. Turning away, she left my place with disappointment in her face. With a goodbye, ma'am, she closed the gate and left me there disconsolate. And then I heard, strange as it seems, a voice I'd heard in my youthful dreams. An inner voice that said to me, That girl is the girl you used to be. Her wistful heart has a pang within, for she is seeking the woman you might have been. We cannot give up. We must keep our eyes fixed on eternity. He has a purpose and a plan for every one of us for our lives, but we have to be willing. We have to be humble. We have to be teachable. The beauty of the gift called repentance is that we can rise again. We can start afresh. And he is always faithful when we are faithful. Another short little poem I really like. It's called Don't Give Up. Twixt failure and success, the point's so fine. Women sometimes know not when they touch the line. Just when the pearl was waiting, one more plunge, 
how many a struggler has thrown in the sponge. Then take this honey from the bitterest cup. There is no failure save in giving up. And you couldn't put it any better than that. The only real failure is when we give up and we quit. We are now going to read Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who, passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion, appearing before God. Baha means tears or weeping. So you can read that passage, verse 6, like this. Blessed is the woman who, passing through the valley of tears, makes it a time of refreshing. It is a time of strength to her. Think of Queen Esther. She went through a great time of weeping. And during that time, she leaned upon God. She won victory, not just for herself, but for her peoples. She didn't only weep. She faced death by two counts. First, because she was Jewish. And secondly, because of the law which governed the golden scepter of the king. Had he not invited her to come into his presence, the alternative would have been death. If you go to Esther chapter 4, verse 11 and 16, this is what you read. In verse 11, Esther is speaking to Hatak and commanded to tell Mordecai, All the king's servants, the people of the king's provinces, do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. Now we go to verse 16, where Esther sends an answer to Mordecai. She tells him, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. It is the prayer, the petitions to God, that gave her the courage to stand before the king without being summoned, knowing God was with her. And God would reward her faithfulness. The results of her courage, of course, she and Mordecai ruled the kingdom. They had great authority. Haman, on the other hand, was killed on the exact same gallows that he had erected for Mordecai's death. In Esther 9.29, we read, Then Esther the queen wrote with all authority, she completed her test. She went through it faithfully, courageously, 
and she won a great victory. The challenges we face, they can bring out the best in us. As Seneca says, difficulties strengthen the mind just as labor does the body. We work our bodies, we work our minds. We even work our faith. The following excerpt was taken from A Message from God. It says, There are some natures only a tempest can bring out. I recollect being strongly impressed on reading the account of an old castle in Germany with two towers that stood upright, far apart, between which an old baron stretched large wires, thus making an Aeolian harp. There were the wires suspended, and the summer breeze played through them, but there was no vibration. Common winds, not having power enough to move them, split and went through them without a whistle. But when there came along great tempest winds, and the heaven was black and the air resounded, it was then these winds, with giant touch, swept through the wires, which began to sing and roar and pour out sublime melodies. Just so, God stretches the chords in the human soul, which, under ordinary influences, do not vibrate, but now and then great tempests sweep them through, and men are conscious that tones are produced in them which could not have been produced except by some such storm handling. One more quote for this. Colton says, Times of great calamity and confusion have ever been productive of the greatest minds. The purest ore is produced from the hottest furnace. The brightest thunderbolt comes from the darkest of storms. It really is true that strength is born in the deep silence of long-suffering hearts. These challenges, difficulties, troubles, trials, they can all be a great blessing to us. But we have to see that blessing, which often seems to come in disguise. Samuel Bringle's classic story, Helps to Holiness, it's a little classic, but it really is a wonderful read. It was written as a series of articles penned during a period of convalescence after a tough kid threw a paving brick at the author's head. Can you imagine? The Bringles used to say if there had been no brick, there would have been no little book. I can't quite say that I would have felt the same way. <laughs> Praise God for their seeing the blessing. Mrs. Brangle kept the brick. She painted text on it, which says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. <coughs> And then from the prairie overcomer comes the story. Lord Clive, as a young man in the spirit of adventure, set out from his British home for India. The ship upon which he sailed 
happened to be caught in a terrific storm. Continuous adverse gales drove it far off the course until finally it limped into a South American harbor. It was there he remained for many months before he was able to obtain passage to India. During the long wait, he acquired the Portuguese language, and this qualified him, when he finally reached India, to take on an important position with the East India Company, which ultimately resulted in his being appointed by the Crown as Governor General of Indiana. Do not deplore these upsets, for they may be God's messengers. Isn't that just, it's a testimony. Sometimes it's a while before we see the purpose and the plan. We just have to have faith. W.W. Weeks shares another story. Years ago, there was a fishing fleet which went out from a small harbor on the east coast of Newfoundland. In the afternoon, there came up a great storm. When night settled, not a single vessel of all the fleet had found its way into port. All night long, there were wives, mothers, children, sweethearts, pacing up and down the beach, wringing their hands, calling on God to save their loved ones. To add to the horror, one of the cottages caught fire. The men were all the way, making it impossible to save the home. When morning broke, to the joy of all, the entire fleet found safe harbor in the bay. But there was one face which was a picture of despair. The wife of the man whose home had been destroyed. Meeting her husband, as he landed, she cried out, Oh, my husband, we are ruined. Our home and all it contained was destroyed by the fire. The man, on the other hand, exclaimed, Thank God for the fire, for it was the light of our burning cottage that guided this whole fleet into port. One sees destruction and despair. The other sees a great blessing, protection. There's so many things in the scriptures, instances where there is something terrible, it seems. But as you keep reading, you find that good came out of that bad situation. Daniel went to the lion's den. The people were made to serve his God because he was faithful. Joseph went to the pit, to the prison, to Potiphar's house, and Finally, he went to the palace, where he was used by God to save many peoples. What about Paul? He sat in prison. He wrote so many of the epistles. He was beaten. He was flogged. And yet, he was such a faithful and bold teacher of the gospel. There is nothing that can stop us from accepting the challenge and overcoming our trials. All of these people, they had difficulties and they overcame them. In our weakness, he is strong. It is with the Lord's help that all these things can be done for his glory.
Here is a sensitive son of a poor preacher. He was regarded a stupid blockhead in the village school. When he finally got a degree from college, he was the lowest on the list. Rejected for the ministry, he tried law with the same result, borrowed a suit of clothes to take an examination as a hospital mate, failed, then pawned his clothes. He lived in garrets. He failed at everything he tried. Only one thing he wanted to do. He wanted to write. And this he did, and he rose above the handicaps of illness, poverty, and obscurity to rank high among the greatest writers of all time. His name? Oliver Goldsmith. Now, I will say, I did have to look that up. Um, I wasn't for sure <laughs> who he was, and I consider myself a huge reader, and so I was very disappointed to not know who this was. Needless to say, in case you don't know either, Oliver Goldsmith was an Anglo-Irish novelist, playwright, and poet, best known for his novel The Vicar of Wakefield and his poem The Deserted Village. There's more, of course, um, but those are the main ones that came up, and I know I will definitely be looking into reading those in the near future. Um, okay. It is wonderful how many of the elect of the human race, the winners of immortal fame, entered the contest with a severe handicap. Homer was a blind minstrel. Milton, too, blind. Beethoven, deaf. So deaf, he could not hear the thunder for a token. Yet he made music of his soul, the grandest ever spoken of. Alexander the Great, he was a hunchback. Shakespeare, on his own testimony, a cripple. So were Scott, Byron, and Calvin, to say nothing of Epictetus. So many men and women who with the trials and all the things that they had that could have caused them to throw in the towel, they did not quit. They pressed on. When a man or woman is determined, what can stop them? Cripple them, and you have Sir Walter Scott. Put him in prison, you have John Bunyan. Bury him in the snows of Valley Forge, and you have George Washington. Have him born in abject poverty. You have Abraham Lincoln. Load him with bitter racial prejudice, and you have a Disraeli. Afflict him with asthma, until as a boy he lies choking in his father's arms, and there you have Theodore Roosevelt. Put him in a grease pit of a locomotive roadhouse. There is Walter Chrysler. Make him second fiddle in an obscure South American orchestra, and you have a Tuscanini. And there are so many more. I will keep reading because I just think they're so good to share. Testimonies of all these things that God has done with people who everyone would think that it was impossible. But all things are possible with God. Blind men seldom quote books, but it is not so with Milton. The prodigious power, readiness, accuracy of his memory the confidence he felt in it. These are proved by his setting himself several years after he had become totally blind 
to compose his treatise on Christian doctrine, which, made up as it is of scriptural texts, would seem to require perpetual reference to the sacred volume. A still more extraordinary enterprise was that of the Latin Dictionary, a work which one would imagine might easily wear out a sound pair of eyes. After five years of blindness, he undertook these two vast works, along with Paradise Lost. So writes Julius Hare. When someone has the will, the way will mostly open itself. Francis Mothelon, to whom was awarded the 100-franc prize by the French Society of Artists for the loveliest painting in 1895. He had no hands. He painted using a wooden hand. Another testimony. And then there is amazing story of courage in the face of odds. Nancy Merkai. She was stricken with polio at the age of 10, condemned to wear these heavy braces, and then later, crutches. In four years, she became a swimming champion. When the president asked her how she had become the youngest champion, despite this infantile paralysis, she said, I guess I just kept on trying, Mr. President. We can never give up. There is such a reward that comes with perseverance, determination, and great faith. George Frederick Handel, wonderful musician. He lost his health, paralyzed on the right side. His money, he had none. His creditors seized everything. They threatened to imprison him. And Handel was so disheartened by this experience, he almost despaired. But his faith prevailed, and this is when he composed his greatest work, the Hallelujah Course, which is a part of his great work, Messiah. If you have never heard either one of those, I really encourage you to look them up and just let them play and close your eyes and just listen. The Apostle John wrote, This is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith. So many of these stories that I just read to you, they were sheer willpower in the face of huge adversity. They wanted to achieve that which would bless others. So I guess the question is, what excuse do you have? What excuse do I have for not overcoming our trials victoriously? when the prize is so much greater than the world's acclaim. In fact, it was President Theodore Roosevelt who said, Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much, because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. We are in a time and a season where we need to be strong. We need to get up. We need to be bold. We need to fight the good fight of faith. We need to press on for that mark, for that high calling in Christ. 
as Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I'm going to read you a couple more stories before we wrap this up. Catherine Bevis tells, among how the students at a well-known college, there was this one young man who had to get around on crutches. He had a very friendly, optimistic disposition, and so he won great respect from his classmates. One day, a student asked him what caused his deformity, and he responded, infantile paralysis. He didn't wish to elaborate on his difficulties. With a misfortune like that, how can you face the world so? His classmate asked. Oh, replied the young man, smiling, this disease, it never touched my heart. Out of the mouth who we are, the things we speak, our disposition, it all comes from our heart. As the scriptures say, we need to guard our hearts. Another story. One of the great presidents of Harvard College, Charles William Eliot, he was born with a serious facial disfigurement and discovered that nothing could be done about it. And so he must go through life with this mark upon him. It is said when his mother brought to him that truth, it was the dark hour of his soul. His mother said, it is not possible for you to get rid of this handicap. We consulted the best surgeons. They say there is nothing that can be done. But it is possible, with God's help, to grow a mind and a soul so big that people forget to look at that face. Then there's Benjamin Brown, who writes about the incident which changed the outcome of World War II. This was a story I had never read before. Days immediately after Dunkirk were darkest for the modern world. In supreme disaster, all seemingly in supreme disaster, all seemed irrevocably lost. The invasion of England loomed imminent. England lay prostrate. Forty-seven warships sunk in the operations off Norway after Dunkirk. When the evacuation was completed, half the British destroyers were in the shipyards for repairs. The Royal Force lost 40% of its bomber strength. Britain was on the brink of famine. Her armies were without arms or equipment. They had left in France 50,000 vehicles. Churchill spoke for the defenseless islanders. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the fields. We shall fight in the streets, and we shall fight in the hill. We shall never surrender. And if this island were subjugated and starving, our empire on the seas would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and liberation of the old. When we have God on our side, we know we have guaranteed victory. We simply have to keep fighting, keep having faith, and reaching ahead for greater things. When we're knocked down, we get up. We start afresh. When life just knocks the breath right out of us, we breathe in the oxygen of heaven. We pray 
we touch Jesus. And he reminds us that we were born for such a time as this. We were not born to fail. We were born to be overcomers, to be victorious. I'll close with a couple of scriptures. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Ephesians 3.20 What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31 2 Corinthians 4.15-18 For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at those things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13 There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we need to know the abundantly God is on our side. He will not forsake us. God knows. He is with us. He will provide those things that we need. And it's not always material things. And of course, we need to remember that this world is not our home. We are just pilgrims passing through. So I pray that you will be blessed. I pray that today you will walk in the Spirit, that you will live in the Spirit, that Christ will be formed in you.